Well, good morning. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, which we're going to be looking at in just a minute. But I want to start by just having us recite together the Lord's Prayer. And I have it up on the slide here. And uh, let's just say this prayer that is adapted from Matthew chapter 6 uh, and is known as the Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So today we talk some about prayer. I want to ask, first of all, how many of you have either anxiety or maybe at times a bad attitude about prayer? Okay, this is confession time. Oh yeah, I see those tentative hands. Anxiety or maybe at times a bad attitude about prayer? Yeah, okay, I have both of those. I've had both of those multiple times. Okay, I can start calling you out. Okay, for those of you who don't have your hands up, you probably need to have confession around honesty issues. Okay. Prayer is an interesting thing, and it's a wonderful gift that God has given us. It's this invitation that God has given us, and it's also a mystery. I think we've likely witnessed and also likely experienced all kinds of prayer in our lives. Let me just list a few. Silent prayer, (coughs) excuse me, corporate prayer, pastor-led prayer, who's actually leading this prayer, prayer, intimate prayer, awkward prayer, my own agenda prayer, I'm drowning prayer, I don't know what to pray prayer, send a subtle message prayer, send a pointed message prayer, preach a three-part sermon prayer, this is the prayer that never ends prayer, intercessory prayer, what was that prayer, Uh, prophetic prayer, listening prayer, I can't hear anything prayer, desperation prayer, don't make me pray in small groups prayer, and so on right? You get the point. It's complicated, or at least we think. And I think, again, we've experienced all of them. I've probably led all of those kinds of prayers at different times. But for some reason, this invitation to communication, this invitation with the living God to communicate that God has given us to be in relationship with him can be so challenging and so intimidating at times. I think that's true for each one of us. And maybe that's why Jesus felt like he needed to teach the disciples how to pray. We'll see that in our text today, that this prayer in Matthew 6, which has become known as the Lord's Prayer, might be more accurately called, and some commentators refer to it as the disciples' prayer, actually, because it was teaching them how to pray, but how Jesus was training them about what's important, about how to keep prayer simple, how to keep prayer practical, how to position ourselves in a way that makes sense through prayer. And hopefully as we go through this today, it'll be helpful for each one of us as well. Well, as Kevin mentioned, we're in this series called Faithful Presence and looking at this truth and reality of how God is a God who is alive, a God who cares, a God who is faithfully present in the world, faithfully present in our lives, hasn't just sort of set things in motion and then pulled back, but is still engaged and involved and faithfully present. 
but also how we are called to be the same. We are called to be God's faithful presence as the church in the day-to-day reality of people's lives. And so we are invited to be God's faithful presence as well. And this includes prayer. Because prayer, when you think about it, prayer acknowledges that God is real and God is alive, as alive because we are praying to a living God. So prayer acknowledges God's faithful presence. It's declaring his kingdom and that his kingdom rules over the, the kingdoms of this world, that his kingdom has authority. And so when we pray, we are also inviting and calling out and welcoming the power and the presence of God and his kingdom. And we're practicing this faithful presence. It's, prayer is a foundational discipline of actually engaging in this faithful presence in the world. So what I want you to see today, first of all, I just want you to see two things really up front. And even on this slide, even on this uh, uh, Lord's Prayer that we see that we often pray are different kind of versions of it. There are two parts that I want us to see, and I think two parts that were fun- fundamental that Jesus was teaching his disciples to keep prayer simple, and it's sort of the vertical and the horizontal. And so this prayer begins with the vertical, which is so important, to acknowledge that God is there in heaven, that God is sovereign, that God is Lord, and it keeps that vertical piece uh, first and foremost in our minds. And then once we understand our positioning to God, and once we understand the vertical, then we can enter into the horizontal prayers, relating to ourselves and relating to others, and so on. And so if you get nothing else out of today that you would understand and see the simplicity of that within this prayer and how Jesus is teaching his disciples that there's a vertical dimension and there's a horizontal dimension, and we have to start with who God is first. That's why it's so good to begin with praise and worship and just to declare the character of God, the truth of who God is, and his sovereignty. And and it's starting with that positioning, and we'll look more at that in just a moment. So again, in Matthew chapter 6, we'll read that text in verse 5 and following in just a minute. But I want to just give a little bit of context, first of all, for Matthew chapter 6. It comes uh, from the bigger context. The, the, the text we're looking at today is, in, is a part of, of chapter 6, but it's also part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. One of the greatest teaching uh, sermons that Jesus ever did with his disciples, and he had Obviously, uh, as you read through that, there's people listening in and, and listening and leaning into what Jesus was teaching the disciples. And so it was one of the greatest teaching times in the, the Sermon on the Mount. What some people have referred to as, you could call them the core values of the Christian faith. If you think of Matthew chapter 22 and the great commandment, that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself— you might want to think about that as the vision. Here's the big vision of the Christian faith about love God, love others. And then you go to Matthew chapter 28 and we get the great commandment, or the, sorry, the great commission. And the great commission is like the mission statement of the Christian faith where Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's the mission that I give you. And one way to think about it is Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount is like the core values. How is it that you are going to be the church? How is it that you're going to live this Christian faith? What kind of things will be priorities? How will you live out of? What will you live out of? And that's what this Sermon on the Mount is about. And so Matthew 6 is part of that. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is teaching about motives. He's teaching about what are the motives as you do things in the kingdom? 
And he starts with the teaching on giving at the beginning of chapter 6. And he starts with, you know, you need to pay attention to why you do things. So first of all, when you give to the needy, why is it that you are giving to the needy? Is really what he's teaching about. And he says, you know, don't just stand on the street corner and blow the trumpet sort of thing and have trumpets blown. That's where we get that phrase, don't toot your own horn. And he says, don't just do that and give in such a way that people notice you and that it becomes all about you, but rather give in private. Don't do it in such a public way. And it even says, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now, the problem is, is again, if we take any one text out of context of a broader teaching, even in this one, we might think, well, we should never let anyone know what we give. Or we should never let anyone know how much we help others or how we serve others. And if we only look at that text, we would be led to believe that, that we do it only in private. But then we would miss the point of what Jesus was actually teaching, which was, what is your motive? How do we know that? Because if you go back to chapter 5 and just... For me, it's just one page over earlier where Jesus is saying, you need to be salt and light in the earth. What does he say? You are the light of the world, and you need to put it on a hilltop. hilltop. You don't take this candle and put it under a basket. No, no, no. You place it in a way that everyone can see. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. And then you go, well, now which one is it? Are we supposed to give, do, like serve only in private? Or are we supposed to actually let our good deeds be seen by all? And Jesus is teaching it depends on your motives. If your motives are to have somebody trumpet things and everybody pay attention and notice when you do good deeds, no, no, no. Then just go and do it quietly and don't let anybody know. But if your motive is to give glory to God and to praise our Heavenly Father that He gets all the glory, let your deeds shine for people to see so that they will give glory to our Heavenly Father. And in the same way, when we come to the next part of this text in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he's doing the same thing. He's talking about, what are your motives as you pray? What is the purpose of why you are praying? Because as we read this text, which we will in just a minute, you might conclude again, I should only pray in private. I should never pray in public. I should always do it, just go in my closet and so on. But we know that Jesus actually taught corporate prayer. Jesus prayed out loud in front of the people. He prayed in such a way so that others would hear him, so that they would be taught about how to pray. So we know that he believed in corporate prayer. We know that he believed in outward prayer. But now again, he's teaching about motives. And if your motives is to do your spirituality in such a way that everybody sees and praises you, then you have some pride issues that you need to deal with, and you need to just go in a closet and pray quietly. So that's what he's teaching here. And he's saying, you need to do it differently. So let's just read. And I'm reading from the ESV here this morning in in verses 5 to 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. So here Jesus gives the antidote to pride when it comes to our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual practices. 
And he's saying, what's in your heart matters. Pay attention, and if pride is creeping in, and if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, then go alone and go in solitude and pray in private. And even later, as he teaches uh, further on in the chapter about fasting, he says if it's about really everybody seeing that you're fasting, he says, don't do that. He says, just go and fast also in private. Don't make it about you and your glory. It's about God and his glory. And so he says in this text, don't just kind of heap up empty phrases. Don't babble on and on thinking that the more words that you say in your prayer actually make it better. He's saying it doesn't. And I read that and I go, wow, ouch, that is a good word for pastors, for those of us who have the gift of speaking until we think of something to say. And, and so he says, just let your words be few. Think of Ecclesiastes and that wonderful text where the author of Ecclesiastes says, you are God in heaven and I am here on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Keep your mouth closed and your ears open. And so here's what Jesus is also pushing against, his spiritual pride and spiritual disciplines that are more about having others notice them than actually what it's doing inside of our hearts. He says the posture of your heart matters. We see in other places in Scripture that we're called, even by Jesus, to be persistent in our prayers. So it's not like we just... We, we aren't persistent. We are called to be persistent in prayers. But he says you don't have to babble on and on and on in, in redundant repetition in ways that make your words so many and you think that somehow that is better. Let your words be few. And so tonight, when you come to the prayer summit at 7 o'clock at the North Site, you will be encouraged to pray few words. You will be encouraged to use short prayers to let others pray. And we'll pray in different ways uh, and so on to let our words be few, and also to listen and to make space for God to speak. So God knows our hearts even before we pray, but he appreciates and invites us to this obedience and relationship. And so this is the kingdom prayer that Jesus then teaches his disciples. And he says in verse 9 to 13, he says, Then pray like this. Don't pray like that. Instead of that, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Oh, that's actually not in there. That part is not in the first manuscripts. That part has been added in over the course of church history. It's part of our tradition of liturgy. Uh, It's a wonderful addition because I think it actually helps us. uh, It starts with the focus on God and his glory. Then it goes to the horizontal and ourselves and each other. And then it goes back to the focus on God and the vertical again. And uh, authors think that maybe that that text of, of liturgy that has been added in in what we typically pray in the Lord's Prayer probably came from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. And you can turn to that and look at that. It's a prayer of David, actually, a wonderful prayer. First uh, Chronicles 29.11, where those words are spoken by King David. And so anyways, that is just some of the background of that. But no, in verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's just go back and look at phrase by phrase some of the things that come out of this Lord's Prayer, this disciple's prayer, is Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. 
Again, he says, our Father in heaven. I find it ironic, and you might notice that even where Jesus has just said, go into a room and pray quietly, and you might say, okay, I just need to go, and it's all about personal prayer, private prayer, and then he teaches them how to pray in that respect, and his first word is, our Father. It's a communal prayer. It doesn't say, my Father. It says, our Father, who art in heaven. And he begins with this imagery of a heavenly Father, and it reminds us as we pray of our position with the living God who is our Father, who is a perfect Father, who is a loving Father, who only wants the best for us, Father, who invites us to come in relationship with Him and to draw close and to speak our heart and our minds and to be raw and real and vulnerable because it's safe. This is the beginning of the invitation where He says, pray like this. And start by acknowledging our Father. Our Father. It postures us in relationship to God. That we gather before Him in this way. That we recognize that He is in heaven. That we are here on earth. That we come in prayer letting go of our insecurities. Letting go of our egos. Letting go even of our doubts. Letting go of our anxieties. Even just for those few moments. It's called faith. And saying, okay, God, in these moments as I pray to our Heavenly Father, I'm positioning myself and trusting you more than the anxiety that I feel in my life and that I see in the world around me, but I'm trusting you in these moments. And so that is the position and the posture of prayer as we we come before our Heavenly Father in this act of submission to a Father we can trust. So it's actually starting here that we quiet our anxious hearts. And that's how we begin. We live our lives often where we strive and we want to control things. And it's a prayer and a beginning of a prayer that reminds us that we are actually not in control. God is. And I think that because of things that we see happening in our world, because of the things that we experience happening in our lives, that we maybe are experiencing in our workplaces, in our families, in our relationships, We maybe try to control things in unhealthy ways at times. Maybe it's how we parent our kids. Maybe it's how we manage and try to control our finances and our security for the future. Maybe it's how we control our careers or whatever the case may be. Because of the things out there that sort of make us fearful and anxious, we try to control certain aspects. And this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples is a beginning point of actually submitting and saying, we are not in control, Lord, you are. And it's a posturing, it's a positioning, it's a acknowledgement, it's a submission, a confession, and it positions us in a really, really good way. Because when we continue to strive and when we continue to try to control and we continue to try to fix things and make things work in our own ways, we actually block God from stepping in and doing the work that only he can do. So that's why the Apostle Paul, he says in Philippians uh, chapter 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, he says, present your requests before God. And this is the invitation that starts our kingdom prayer. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, may your name be holy. 
You are a God who is set apart. You are a God who is worthy of our praise. You are a God who is above all things. You are a a God who is in control of all circumstances. I am not in control. You are in control. And it's this contrast of God who is holy, which means to be set apart, but also a God who is so personal because he is our heavenly Father. And so it's this, these two things that are both true, again, held in tension of God who is holy and set apart, and yet a loving Father who invites us in close. And so we begin with this posture and this teaching that we see that God is worthy of all glory and honor of, and praise, that God, you are in heaven and here am I on earth. We submit to your authority. And it allows us to stop striving. It allows us even just for a moment to quell the anxious heart and to say, God, you're in control. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that part of the prayer. That kingdom focus of the prayer. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. To pray that truth in any and every situation. Think of something in your life right now that just feels so out of control, that feels so painful, that feels so hard. And you can pray these words and just say, Lord, when when you don't know what to pray anymore. Jesus is saying, you can always pray this, Lord, may your kingdom come in this situation. May your will be done in ways that we can't see right now what the outcome will be. We can't see what you're going to do. We can't fix it. So, Lord, would your kingdom come? Because, you see, prayer opens up a space to see and experience and to participate in the kingdom, to participate in what God is doing actively. We, we still have a role to play, an active role, but we do it differently. We do it without carrying the weight of it because it's a prayer of submission, of open-handedness, going, God, I can't fix this. I've been trying for all this time, and now I am submitting this to you, May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And so we still actively participate. We still are engaged in his kingdom work, but we don't carry the weight and the responsibility of it anymore. I think Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray in a way that gave them freedom. As we pray these kind of kingdom prayers, it invites God's presence. It recognizes God's presence in our lives and in these situations. And it just releases his power to become active and real and alive. And it frees us to actually be faithfully present without the anxiousness, without the striving, and to just be fully present in the moment. We actually become better at the faithful presence when we pray this way as well. So again, going back to what I said earlier on, I want you to see again this vertical before the horizontal. That Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and to acknowledge the vertical of who God is and that he is sovereign. And we place ourselves in submission to him to begin with. And it starts with that. And then the encouragement to pray the horizontal. That we can come before the loving Father and that we can pray with those specific needs that we know that we have, that God knows that we have. And we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And it's just this prayer of acknowledging a daily dependence on him for sustenance. And for most of us, our daily bread isn't a concern for us. 
It's there. We have the abilities and the capacities to purchase daily bread and to feed ourselves and our families. For many people, that's not the case. But for us, maybe it's other things. It's the reality that we have a dependence in Jesus that we need to acknowledge every day. And this prayer acknowledges that dependence and it positions ourselves again in such a way that we say, Lord Jesus, I need you today. I can't do this on my own. I need your daily manna, your daily provision, your daily nutrients. Fill me with your spirit today and allow me to do what you're calling me to do in your kingdom work. And so it's that constant dependence, that daily dependence of crying out to God in that way. And then that next part of the forgiveness of sin, Lord, forgive us for our sins and give us the ability to also forgive other people. And it's this recognition that we are sinful people again. It's repentance and confession, a daily practice, a daily spiritual discipline. And out of that, we have the capacity because we understand the grace that God has given us. We now have the capacity to forgive other people And to be engaged in the ministry of reconciliation that we talked about last week that we are called to of proclaiming and living this ministry of reconciliation. We can be more fully present in people's lives because we know the grace of God in our lives. And then the last part where he says, Lord, give us the strength to overcome temptation. Give us the strength to overcome the evil one. We recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. We recognize that we have vulnerabilities. And Lord, would you protect us from that? Would you put on the armor of God in our lives so that we can actually fight the enemy's battles and the arrows that come at us? And so we need this posture of prayer in all of the situations of our lives, and especially when we don't know how to pray. I think that's what God was teaching his disciples and teaching each one of us is especially when you don't know how to pray, when you're kind of at the end, what a great, simple guide for us. Not to pray this over and over in a mechanical, ritualistic kind of way where it just becomes empty words, because I think Jesus was talking about that even earlier. But to use this as a guide and to to flesh it out and to write it out in our own words, to make it personal, to uh, put it to use and to practice into the situations and the the things that we face on a week-to-week basis. And for me, I just found it even freeing this week again, praying this prayer over and over again into situations that I I don't know what to do, into situations where I don't know what the outcome's going to be. But to just be able to trust God again and to come with this kind of prayer and this kind of guide where we can face the fears and the doubts and the disappointments and the pain in our lives to just simply pray this expression of this kingdom prayer again. Release control. And to bring order back into our lives because God's kingdom brings order. We like to think that we bring order, but God's kingdom brings order into our lives. And so we need this discipline of kingdom prayer to experience God's faithful presence and to be God's faithful presence. Author and pastor David Fitch, he says, kingdom prayer does not remove us from the world, but places us firmly in the middle of it. Kingdom prayer doesn't just sort of hide from the realities of the things that we're facing. It actually places you right in the middle of it and it gives you an ability to invite God and to see God at work and to change things in ways that we could never change things. There's a story that uh, describes, David Fitch describes a group of people and I want to just briefly read you this story of... uh, a real story in Sacramento, and it says this. In 2010, a group of eight people from two Sacramento churches felt called to the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood of Sacramento. 
It was known as one of the most notorious crime-ridden neighborhoods of all of Sacramento. Gang violence, prostitution, drug arrests were regular occurrences. Each house in that neighborhood was a place of danger. Nonetheless, this group of eight decided to walk through the neighborhood praying over each, each home and praying for the presence of Christ to reign over violence, addiction, and satanic oppression. On one of the, one of the eight, Sacramento street detective Michael Jong reported that each time we prayed over the houses, we felt the weight of oppression become lighter. A woman from one of those houses confronted them. When she discovered that they were praying for the community, she asked for healing, and God healed her. The group soon physically moved into the neighborhood and started what they called Detroit Life Church. A couple of years later, the Sacramento Bee, the city's main newspaper, reported that there were no homicides, robberies, or sex crimes, only one assault in Detroit Boulevard between 2013 and 2014. And Michael Jong, this detective, reported that in a neighborhood once known by police as a carnival for its multiple arrests every night was now considered boring. Detroit Boulevard, a neighborhood once glorified for its violence and gangster lifestyle, had been transformed by a small group of people who began their ministry in the neighborhood by praying around the houses, streets, and parks for the power of Satan to be vanquished. Kingdom prayer made space for the kingdom to come to Detroit Boulevard. Kingdom prayer brings people together around places, circumstances, and social structures and opens space for Christ's presence to become real. This is why we pray. You can't humanly fix that. You can pass laws that will help that, and you can make decisions that will aid that in different ways, but that kind of transformation is only a work of the king. And it happens through kingdom prayer. That's why we pray. That's why we gather at prayer summits three times a year with all of our congregations to just pray and to cry out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to invite his kingdom into our lives and into our city. Carl Barthi said this well-known quote where he says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And this is so true. This is why Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. Kingdom prayer requires a location and a presence to be with people. It's a call to every one of us to be present with people, to be really present with people, to pray with them and to pray for them in whatever aspects of life that we find ourselves in. And so prayer's primary task, I think, is first and foremost, is it actually changes us. And that first part of the prayer where Jesus is teaching them to focus on the vertical and who God is and our position to the king. It changes us because it changes our posture and it changes our approach to God. It changes our character. It changes our will. It changes our values. It changes how we pray. And it brings us into relationship with God and with others in ways that we can truly become participants in God's kingdom work to change the world. As our prayer life acknowledges God's presence, his sovereignty and his power, And it positions us in a way that we too can be fully present and faithfully present in the lives of others. This is the discipline of kingdom prayer. This is what God invites us to. This is what Jesus is teaching us about how to pray. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes up? And I want to just lead us in kingdom prayer in that way. So first of all, as I mentioned earlier, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just think for a moment about a situation in your life, a relationship, 
uh, something that's painful, hard, difficult, where you go, I'm at the end of this. I don't know how to fix this anymore. And I just want you to have that in your mind. And maybe just even if you want, just open your hands and just hold it out before God and close your eyes as I just lead us in prayer. And as I pray that this would be the thing that you invite God's kingdom, presence, and power into. And so, Lord, I thank you that you teach us to pray, Lord Jesus, in such simple ways. And we just confess that so often we make things really complicated. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you are our Father, that you are loving, that you invite us. We thank you that you care for us and that you are so good. And that in the midst of pain and sufferings that that you understand, that you come alongside, and that you strengthen us even at times when we don't necessarily feel or know that. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning as you are in heaven and we are here on earth. And may you be glorified. And Lord, we long for more of your kingdom. And we pray right now, Lord, for those things that we're holding in front of us, those things that we don't know how to change or fix. We pray for more of your kingdom to be evident in that. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth and in this situation as it is in heaven. You've created us to live in this world and you've called us to be your faithful presence. Would you give us the strength to do that, Lord? Would we see more of you on earth as you have designed in heaven? Could we live more out of that in our lives? And Lord, today I pray for daily bread. And for most of us, Lord, we, we have the ability to purchase daily bread. But for those who struggle financially, we also pray that you would provide that daily bread in a very real and tangible way. And Lord, for each one of us, we need your sustenance daily. We need your renewal. We need the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Feed us through your word and through your spirit, we pray. And God, for those who struggle with food and shelter and safety and healing and comfort, we pray that for them. And those people in our lives who we know this to be true, we lift them up to you and we pray for your kingdom to come in that way. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed to live as kingdom people. And make us a people of forgiveness and reconciliation. And Lord, may you keep us from the very things in our lives that Satan knows he can tempt us with. Protect us where we're vulnerable and help us to put on the armor of God every day. Purge the evil and the selfish and sinful human nature from our lives and make us more like you. For you are the king of this world. You are the one who has true power and we give you all the glory as you rule for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.